Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. So, as we've been going through this series about seasons, today we're going to be talking about how I feel different. And this is a point in the, a season of life to where you, you just feel a shift within your soul, within your spirit, and you can't articulate necessarily why you feel the way you're feeling, but you know that something has changed even though you can't put your finger on it. You know what I'm trying to say? And I want us to understand that one of the most mon- monumental transitions of seasons that we experience is the ones in which we are promoted or we're, giving, uh, we're given a new level of responsibility. So, like in church world, they say like you're going to the next level. And what is most recognizable about this season is that it often feels different within yourself. And you feel this greater weight of responsibility on your shoulders and a different purpose really inside of your gut. And with this kind of seasonal shift, while you can recognize it, others often won't, uh, won't recognize it at first. It's something that, that you feel with inside of yourself. And uh, I want to share... Uh, a a personal story where it was a major transition season for me and Lauren. Um, When we first got married, uh, our our old church pretty much uh, quickly ended up making us the youth pastors. But before that point, uh, I had been serving in the church for for over a year, and I was helping with the youth youth ministry um, through all these different directors. There was even at one point where I was was named the president of the youth department. It was like really old school at the time. But that there was, it, I had been working and there was other ministry uh, volunteers there too, same age and everything. And, you know, when you kind of work with someone for, for uh, over a couple of years, you start to kind of get really comfortable. And you don't, uh, if you've ever had like a, um, a fellow coworker be promoted as manager, it's really hard to, to make that transition within yourself. You don't recognize it right away. And so for us, they, uh, we literally had the associate pastor sit us down, me and Lauren, and tell us, we're going to make you all the next youth pastors. We're going to give you all these responsibilities. You guys are going to be in charge. It's like this very clear transition. Now, up to this point, I, I've been feeling like this calling, this, this, this like yearning within myself of, of going to this next level in ministry. And Lauren did too. And so... As as uh, as we're you know we know this and we're getting we're, we've been emotionally and spiritually prepped. Um, there's a there's a certain day after a Wednesday service to where the the associate pastor had told all the youth volunteers and leaders that we're going to have a meeting after church, and and uh, this if you haven't known uh, within churches sometimes people can be kind of territorial. Um, I was not raised in church, so this was kind of new for me, but. There's this, uh, there's this kind of like territorial um, vibe in some churches. And me being, uh, me being freshly married to Lauren, Lauren did not live in the same town. She, all of a sudden, uh, one day I just got married and now Lauren is here. And so she's not necessarily like fit in yet to, to, this, to this church per se. And when uh, there's a certain young lady that came to tell us about the meeting and again, me and Lauren are married. Lauren had just got there uh, as far as like church vibes, but I've been there for a while. And comes up to me and Lauren, but specifically looks at me 
and says, Homer, uh, we're, we're supposed to have a meeting right now, okay? So um, just you. And, and then walks away, and Lauren's just like, so that was weird. Do I, do I go? And I was like, yeah, we're married. Just come on. And it was just like a very intentional, like, well, not for you. It's like, it's just for us. And there's no recognition of who she was. Well, the whole meeting was about how Lauren and I were being made youth pastors. And so the very meeting that she was trying to get uh, sidestepped from was the meeting that she was about. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And that's what I mean when it feels different. It feels different. It, and it feels different for you and it feels different for others because of this shift in responsibility, the shift in promotion. And it's not necessarily how others respond to you that we're going to be talking about today but it is about how you change the way that you carry yourself in responsibility. There's a change that has to be made in the way that we carry ourselves, the, a change in the way that you see others and their roles, and a change in the way that you focus on your purpose. And we're going to be unpacking that today. And so to better unpack this, uh, this season that we're talking about, we're going to be looking at Peter when he took his first steps uh, into apostleship. The moment where he went from disciple to apostle. And we're going to start off in, uh, in John in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. And we're going to be reading this dialogue. So this is after Jesus is resurrected. He's already called the disciples who were out fishing back to the shore. And he has this moment with Peter. It says, Now when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. And then he said to him a third time, <laughs> he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. So within this point, this first part of this dialogue, we're going to understand this. this uh, we want to understand this concept of how you need to figure out why. You need to figure out your why. Because to understand this dialogue, we, you have to understand Peter's past. This specific dialogue, Jesus is, is being, uh, when Jesus was being tried by the religious leaders to be crucified, Peter had snuck in the area with John to see what was going to happen with Jesus. When asked if he was a follower of Jesus, Peter denied that he even knew Jesus three different times. Okay, this is three times that he's being asked if he loves Jesus, compared to the three different times before the resurrection in which he denied Jesus. His denials directly connect to these three affirmations of love. So this moment in Peter's life is critical because he is in somewhat of this crossroads of responsibility. It is crossroads of his identity, of his role, because he could let his regrets, his mistakes, and his complicated scenarios. Let me emphasize that. The scenario that he was in was complicated. If there's any kind of Facebook status for him to uh, uh, put about his relationship with Jesus, it would be in that moment, well, it's complicated. I don't know if he's going to be crucified right now, which would make me confused about him really being the son of God. So it was complicated. It was a complicated scenario. 
And in this moment, it, it, he could stick, uh, let these complications turn him back to his old way of life, which was fishing. And guess what? That's what he was already doing out on the sea right now. So after Jesus had already resurrected, after Jesus had already revealed himself resurrected, Peter went back to fishing. Okay? This is still disciple Peter. And he's in his old way of life, or he could dust off himself and pick up this new role of apostleship that Jesus is presenting to him. Because every time that Jesus is saying, then tend my sheep, he is go- he's no longer, uh, it's no longer about what, is, what Jesus told me to do, but he's giving this authority. Take care of my followers. Take care of these people. Take, take care and feed them what I have fed you. And so he's given, it's all unpacking this new responsibility, this new role, and this new pressure. And imagine for a moment, Peter to himself could be thinking, man, I, I, I didn't even get it right at the end when I was just a disciple, and now I'm giving, being given an offer to promotion. If I messed up before, how am I going to handle all these new pressures and responsibilities? See, this is truly at a crossroads, but before he could step into this new role, this new purpose, he had to confront his past. Before Jesus says anything else to him, what does he do? He confronts the past. And what it shows me is that you must accept your past in order to determine your future. You must accept your past in order to determine your future. The same way we cannot fully embrace parts of our future without first facing the things of our past. And I'm not just talking about our own decisions. I also mean the unfair scenarios, the unfair treatments that were not of our own doing. We have to even face those things because the things that we experience in life shape us into the people who we are, even when we want to be, uh, uh, even they shape who, Uh, They shape us into who we are and even who we want to become, the good and the bad. All of the past, the good and the bad parts of our past. For Peter, his past through his denials end up being the motivating force. Think about this for a moment. His denials become this motivating force into his new role. His mistakes end up becoming a catalyst and making him relentless in his purpose. His mistakes end up making him relentless in his purpose as he carried his new role with authority because he was determined not to be the person he once was and because of the amazing grace he experienced through his shortcomings. For me, even just becoming a Christian, I had, to, I, I had this moment where I acknowledged my past. See, now I seem like this outstanding young citizen, right? But... Even the parts of me that are good are only because I acknowledge the parts that were bad. I'm a generous person now because I acknowledge the person who I used to be when I would take, when I would steal. I, I'm, a, I'm a nice and compassionate person now, but I acknowledge the, the, the mean and wicked person I was before to where I would hurt people, physically hurt people without cause. See, it, those things now motivate me for who I want to be. Because I never want to go back to that person. Y'all feel what I'm saying? For Peter, that is his recognition. And through it all, the other side of the coin is the kindness of Jesus through it. 
He makes a mistake and instead of getting kicked off the team, he's been given a promotion. In the same way for me, I mean, the grace of God is what drew me to repentance. The kindness, the compassion, the love of God is what drew me to this changed life. And if we choose to accept what we've gone through, we can determine where we want to go. The very pain of what we have experienced, whether by our own decisions or someone else's, can become the motivation and wind in our sails to go farther than our eyes can see. You know, it makes me think about uh, me and Lauren, we're about to have uh, our 10-year anniversary, August 18th. Isn't that great? You're, some, of y'all, some of y'all are like, wow, and some of y'all are like, that's nothing. <laughs> Call me in 10 more years. But see, 10 years, that's a big deal for me, given that in my personal past, and in all my relationships, this is a little TMI, but before I met Lauren, I never had a relationship last longer than 30 days. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, man, this guy really was a dirtbag. <laughs> I, I never had a relationship last in 30 days. In fact, in my, in my youth, before I gave my life to Christ, I actually thought I was cursed. <laughs> I, I thought I had this curse on me that I could, as soon as it would hit the 30-day mark, something would happen, or whether it was me or something else. And I just never had a relationship past 30 days. And so for me and Lauren now... Going on 10 years, that's a big deal for me. That's a big accomplishment. The other part of it, so that's part of my past. Now let's look at an unfair scenario. And I'm using this as an example. For me, I grew up in a broken home, a dysfunctional home. My, uh, my parents, uh, they, uh, they divorced when I was 11. But they're also on their third marriage. Each of them. They're, one of them is, I don't know if it's a third or not. <laughs> but... Third major relationship, okay? And, and so it's no knock to, to, to them, but see, not being able to witness clear marriage, going through, uh, going through the separation, going through all that entails with dysfunction in the home. I, I'm uh, not very close with any of my family members. And even as I say that, if anyone was watching, I'd be like, hey, we're really close. But I, I would most likely guess that no one would even be watching this right now. Even though I have, uh, I ha- I'm a one of six siblings. And so I have a big family, but I'm not close with any of them. Y'all dig what I'm saying? That me and my wife, we have not had anyone babysit our kids. Ever. Not by choice, okay? It's not that we're overprotective. But I'm, I'm painting this picture of how we don't have this closeness that a lot of people have, right? But see, even though that was outside of my control... That's not something that, that, uh, that I did, but it's something I experienced. I am determined to, to, to uh, cultivate a family that is close. I'm, I'm intentional at cultivating traditions. I, I, I intentionally spent every day with my kids that, uh, since they were born. You dig what I'm saying? It, there's, there's intention there, and it's not just by accident. It's not just by chance, like, oh, well, that's just what all dads do. No, <laughs> it's not. It, it was by intention because of my experiences. It was only because I acknowledged my past and acknowledged what I went through that I determined what I did not want to become. And in turn, I determined who I wanted to become. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so we... Uh, one, of our, one of our aspirational values in this church is always know why you do what you do. 
I just told you why I choose to be an intentional father. Why I choose to be an intentional husband. And so when it comes to our faith, when it comes to your career, your sobriety, whatever it is that you are working on right now, you must know why you do what you do. You have to figure out why. This is what we're talking about. You have to figure out why. It is the key when walking into a new level of growth. And I think that this is why, this is why it is incredibly intentional of Jesus to help Peter solidify his why within his new role before talking any more about how much it was going to cost. He talked about, he, he prefaced everything he was about to say to Peter with this, his why. And it leads us into our next point, and that is fresh blood. And within fresh blood, I want us to continue this dialogue in John chapter 21, continuing in verses 18 through 19. Jesus says, truly, truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to put on your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will put your belt on, uh, will put, put your belt on you and bring you where you do not want to go. Now, he said this indicating by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had said this, he said to him, follow me. So Jesus pretty much says, now that I've told you all this, as you step into this new role, you're going to be crucified. <laughs> he says, you, you're literally going to be crucified, Peter. I'm just giving you a heads up. If you've ever wanted to know how you were going to die, <laughs> here it is. And Peter, in fact, is crucified later on. He becomes a martyr and he, and he tells them to crucify him upside down <laughs> because he doesn't want to be crucified in the same likeness of Jesus because of how how much he honored Jesus said, I don't even deserve to be crucified like that. I'm unworthy. Crucify me upside down. So he's like really passionate by that point. I think uh, for me personally, I would have still been like, like I'll take you all with me. I'm going to kill you. All. <laughs> I would have been as, as, uh, as spiritual as Peter as I'm not there yet. But what I want us to understand within this point is that Peter is going from fishermen to glorified saint. He went from just being a fisherman and then Jesus promoted him to a fisher of people and now he's being, he's being told that he's going to be this glorified saint in martyrdom. But that, and that it's going to cost him a lot of blood and grit. That's why he's telling Peter. It's going to cost him a lot of blood and grit. Jesus' whole dialogue seems to become centered around these two verses about what's going to happen to Peter. And that is the cost of his new role and purpose. It shows me that a glory-filled purpose is, is paved through blood and grit. And while indeed Peter is crucified later for his declaration and commitments of faith, he did so much more before his final act of martyrdom. It's not that, that he was just crucified. That's the end, okay? That, that was his final act of martyrdom. He led the message and altar call at Pentecost that led thousands of people to be saved through Jesus. He was the only one when everyone was confused and even when people started being slandered, it was Peter who had the bravery and boldness to stand up and make this entire message of Jesus being the saving work 
to the very people that crucified Jesus. And you know what shifted is because now Peter knows his why. He has this, this encouragement. Before, did you know that Peter, at, when Jesus was being taken away, he ran away when he realized that, Jesus, uh, that he was going to be tried or even killed being a follower of Jesus. He ran away. But after he saw Jesus resurrected, after he figured out his why, he's, he's willing to die for his faith. It shows the authenticity of Jesus' resurrection. Before, he was a coward. After, he was bold enough to die for the name of Jesus. And he was the first person other than Jesus to defy the overstretched authority of the Pharisees and religious leaders and the governing authorities. He would openly defy them. I mean, think about just like uh, how, how uncomfortable it is just in the last two years of trying to fit into a society where we, we, don't even, we, we don't even feel comfortable going into certain places whether, whether or not uh, we, we know what's going to be there. For example, like even just when it comes to wearing masks, you know how, like, how uncomfortable it is whether wearing a mask or not, going into a place and not knowing what everybody thinks about it? it, it it's like this, this, internal, uh, this internal compliance that we have to where we want to be able to blend in. We want to be able to, to comply and not be... Uh, not be a sore thumb in a room. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Did y'all not feel that? I mean, to, if, if this was a room full of a certain political party that was, uh, that was different than your political affiliation, would you not feel completely unsettled? And even uh, if anyone asked you, you would, just, you would probably just like agree, like, yeah, yeah, totally. Just because you wouldn't want to deal with the confrontation that's what I'm talking about. Now look at Peter, who in his time, they were killing folk for disagreeing. And he's openly defying not just the religious leaders, but the governing authorities. This dude was bold. All right, it takes some grit. In fact, you know, it, it didn't just take boldness. It takes some, some internal and physical grit because they beat him. They would beat him. They imprisoned him. They deprived him of food. I mean, he was, he was literally tortured for Christ. And he endured it and then went out and did the same thing again. There's moments where he would get released from prison in a miraculous way. And he would go out and preaching at the same temple where they caught him. The audacity. What I'm getting at is that he boldly testified of Jesus's resurrection, even when beaten and in prison. He was obedient to being the first to share the gospel to the Gentiles even when he didn't understand what God was doing. I mean, it's one thing to be obedient to God and understand like, I know it's all going to work out for good, but to feel completely confused of what God is really doing, feeling confused within yourself and still being obedient anyway, this takes some grit. He worked hard as he traveled hundreds and thousands of miles to share the gospel with common people and kings as he cast out demons, he healed the sick, he healed the lame, and he instituted lasting structure for the early church to be sustained and grow even after his death. So think about all this that Peter is doing. All that he did, it was not something done easily. If you've ever had a, a new job before that you thought was hard, just, to, just before service, uh, Joel was talking about doing this little side thing of, of tree trimming. He was like, man, that was freaking hard. <laughs> That was some hard work. 
See, every time we do something new, every time we even do some of our normal jobs, it's hard. Peter is, is literally grinding and putting forth the grit, the blood, the sweat, the tears as he is establishing the, the purpose that God has given him. And not only that, but he, he sets up structure for the church to last even after he's gone. Who does that? He put forth everything within himself. And this is, this is all the same man who at one point was too scared and timid to tell a slave woman that he knew Jesus. To, to, to tell a servant that he knew Jesus. He was too scared to tell them. Think about the change within him. This is the difference about, that I'm talking about when it comes to taking on a new role. It, it feels different. The disciple Peter was the man who denied Jesus, but the apostle Peter is the one who lived glor a glory-filled life for Jesus. While he was the same man, the new role and the new purpose changed him from the inside out. Not only did he uh, find out his why, but he determined to give all of himself. He entered a glory-filled purpose uh, because he accepted his past and grew from it, and because he's willing to give all that he had to this new purpose and role that he was given. And as I'm talking about purpose and dreams and aspirations, I feel like we, we typically imagine that our purpose and our dreams are something pretty. We, we imagine it just this, like, this, this kind of fantasy prettiness to it. Relaxing, nice, but that is really just what other people see. That's only what other people see. It, even when it comes to like the idea of being uh, like president, I, I've really thought about this the last couple of years because um, I've, me myself, if you're wondering, like most churches when it comes to political beliefs, they're like, it's not about, Christ, uh, about being Republican or Democrat, it's about being Christian. Now there's a voting guide in each of your seats if you want to know how to vote. But I really believe that I think after the last several years, I'm more of an anarchist than anything else. <laughs> I think that all government is really uh, just a, a perpetuating form of antichrist. <laughs> but to think for a moment that even the president, like when I think about the president, I, I could look at any president and I'm like, he's an idiot. <laughs> any one of them. This one, the last one, the one before, uh, uh, the three before that, I could think, I could easily look at a policy or, or something and oversimplify it. But truly, I won't know what to do. <laughs> see, it, it looks easy from the outside, from the little bits and pieces that we see. Like even just this morning, I was thinking about how, like the, like how just like uh, we could, the, they could send like a drone strike and it, and it kill like a van full of ki kids instead of like the actual enemy. I'm just thinking, like, what goes into that? <laughs> like, how, like, that's not just like, like, oh, whoops, like we read it wrong. That's like, that's literally dozens of people that made, that brought intel and tried to make this, this concise decision and it all being wrong. But I think about how everything just looks easy, but when you really think about it, it's incredibly difficult. It, it's beyond what we could even imagine, the pressures, the responsibilities. And while we think about uh, what is really what really encompasses it uh, in these dreams is incredibly difficult, incredibly ugly situations and scenarios and tasks that nobody else wants to do. 
And you can have all the dreams, all the aspirations, and even the calling in the world. But if you aren't willing to give some blood and grit, they will, they will never really come into fruition. They will only stay dreams. The essence of grit is the willingness to sacrifice of yourself. With, and without the dying of self, you won't be able to enter into your promotion or your next level, let alone be able to better yourself. It makes me think about, uh, just like how I shared about like, the idea of a president, even just actors. Maybe it's like, okay, I don't want to be president. But just think about some actors. It's like, I could do that. Uh, have you ever tried acting? Like, I mean, it, it's actually really hard to pretend this like, scenario. And even at that, you're like, well, I'm really good at acting. I, can, I really can do it. When you think about some of these like, famous stars, like, for example, Christian Bale. He's, he's like one of the top performing actors, right? That man is a, is a psychopath, okay? He's a lunatic. For, he'll go from, like the role from Batman. Y'all remember that movie Batman he was in? The good one? <laughs> he packed on like, like uh, gained what, 190 pounds? He, he, he's all buff and chiseled. And then for his, just to get that, like that's like our dream just for ourselves. Like I'm just trying to get healthy. <laughs> and he's doing it just for a movie role. Right after that movie, he plays the machinist in which he drops to 90 pounds. That's like, he's like literally skin and bones. He was on a calorie diet of like 700 calories a day until he lost all of his weight. It's like, he just, that takes such discipline, such gall, such such like real determination. Jamie Foxx, y'all like Jamie Foxx, right? He's amazing. It, did you know that for his, his role in the movie Ray, where he plays Ray, uh, Ray Charles, a b- blind pianist, did you know to practice being blind, he super glued his eyes shut? Haven't you ever heard of acting? <laughs> like, good goodness. And did you know that he actually paid a dentist to, to, to intentionally chip his tooth to be like Ray Charles? It's like, man, they didn't have no Sharpies. <laughs> like... Haven't you seen Dumb and Dumber? Like, they, there's other ways to do that. <laughs> See, what I'm getting at is, it is not just by chance. Most of these actors went through years of being homeless inside a van before they ever got picked up. I'm, I'm talking about raw determination. Raw determination. Grit. Even for something that is solely for entertainment. Now we're talking about purpose and calling. This, these scenarios of needing to be able to be willing to sacrifice or die to self, this ideology applies to even simple things. Think about those who have complete health change. It is because they died to self and made some gritty decisions that led them to their next level. We see, you're like, man, you look great. What did you do? And they're like, well, I did this. And like, oh, there's no secret there. It, you have to get out of your own head and capture the reality of growth and change not being about, uh, and understand that change is not being about how you feel right now. See, those are the people that actually experience real growth, real change, is when you decide that it doesn't matter how you feel right now. And that's a gritty decision. It doesn't matter if you're motivated or not. You just do it regardless. It's not, it, it's, not even a, uh, it's not even about how much longer until you get your next prize. Grit is doing what needs to be done even when no one else wants to do it. It's grit. 
So with that, I want to talk about our last point, focus on your prize, by first finishing this dialogue of Peter and Jesus. And it says in verses 20 through 22, Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following. This this is John, by the way. John always refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved because he recognized it's not what he could do for Jesus, but how, uh, how much he could love Jesus, but how much Jesus loved him. His identity was based in God's love for him. The one, uh, the one who also had leaned back on his chest at the uh, supper and said, Lord, who is the one who is uh, betraying you? So Peter, upon seeing them, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. This last point, I want us to talk about focus on you. Oh. Ignore that. It's supposed to be focus on you. There's an edit later on. <laughs> focus on you. Ignore the prize part. <laughs> Just to, to get y'all to stop looking at it. Within this point, <laughs> within this point, we're going to be unpacking envy will only diminish your progress. Envy will only diminish your progress. Focus on you. The biggest stumbling block to your progress, your victories, and to your joy will be the envy of others. The envy of others. We as humans simply can't help ourselves. It is within our sinful nature and so often our natural reaction to someone else's blessing is our immediate feelings of entitlement. Our immediate feelings of envy, of wanting what they got. Jesus is giving Peter this, um, this clear calling. He's giving Peter this this amazing redemption and this promotion into apostleship. I mean, he's he's literally telling him his future and giving him this pathway when he thought that everything was lost before. And the first thing that Peter does is try to compare it to the person next to him. Think about that for the moment. It's almost like in the same breath that Jesus is telling him all this. He says, wow, Jesus, but what about him? And he, he couldn't fully appreciate what was happening in the moment, nor could he appreciate the gravity of the next level he was stop, uh, stepping into because he was so ready to envy and covet what was for someone else. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And as some of you know, as some of you know, me and Lauren, we, we recently took in some, some puppies, <laughs> We're crazy, right? We have one big dog named Sam who's like 70 pounds and he's really big. And I, for the longest time, I was like, man, I feel guilty for this dog because we're, we're gone most of the time and we have, now we have babies and we, foc- we focus more on them. And I just feel like this dog's getting depressed. Like he's just at home by himself. I know, it's horrible. It's, it's, and so I was genuinely feeling bad for him. I mean, just going on a walk was like the best time of his life. And I was like, that's the... You're excited about this? But see, that's how bad I was feeling. So I've been thinking for like over a year about, about possibly getting a new dog for him. For him. <laughs> a dog for my dog. Because I was like, at least I'll have someone to play with, you know. You won't have to be so sad all the time. But for, for all this time, like, we don't need another dog. We shouldn't even have the dog. I've been like all anti-pet. Like, it's too much responsibility 
But I was really just putting up a front because I love dogs. <laughs> and finally, one day, Lauren tells me like, hey, uh, so-and-so found some puppies that were abandoned and showed me they're like all skin and bones, like on the verge of death. And I was like, well, maybe we can, well, and they're asking us if we wanted one. And I was like, well, we could go see them and see what's up. Just maybe Sam will finally have a, a friend. And we go and we show up and both of our daughters are immediately like, I like this one and I like that one. And Lauren's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we, we didn't think of that. What should we do? And she looks at me and she's like, whose heart do we break? And I'm sitting there looking at the dogs. I'm like, why don't we just get both of them? Because <laughs> the inner dog lover in me was, was subjective. <laughs> And Lauren was like, oh, no, no, we'll come back. We need to talk about things. <laughs> and so that afternoon we had some errands to run and I can be, I'm, I'm kind of smart. I, I know how to do things. Okay. So for the rest of, for this, the times that we we're talking about the dogs, like we need to go get, you know, for whatever dog that we were going to get, I'll just talk in plural terms, get in her head. <laughs> I was like, what should we name them? We need to get them leashes. See, this plural. And she would catch it here and they'd be like, stop it. But then the minute that she said them, I was like, got her. <laughs> it's over. And so we, we ended up taking these two puppies, right? And their names, it, it's a little brown one. Well, he's not so little anymore. He, like, he was skin and bones at first, but now he's packed on some weight. He's kind of heavy. And a little white one with a spot on his eye. And their names, the white one is named Christmas. And the brown one is named Whiskey. Awesome names, right? <laughs> and the reason I'm sharing this whole story is because, again, my heart just breaks for these little dogs. I, there's, don't tell Lauren this, but there's moments where I've realized I cared more about these puppies eating than my own kids. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> like, not really, but kind of. <laughs> And I was like, I'm over here like watching like Christmas isn't eating that much. <laughs> and Lawrence is like, he'll figure it out. <laughs> well, the reason I'm sharing this is because one thing that I exceptionally noticed this, this whole time of, of nurturing these beautiful little puppies is that every time I feed them, I got them two separate bowls. They've been on the streets a long time, okay? <laughs> When I feed them, as, as I'm literally pouring their bowls, one, they'll start eating. But as soon as I, I add some to the, to the other one, they will stop eating their food and, and switch bowls. And try, just because they, they're seeing that the other dog is getting food, and so they go to that dog's bowl instead. I'm giving them both equal amount of food. I'm giving them the same food. But even as I'm giving them food, they can't even fully see it or appreciate it because they're so fixated on what the other dog is getting. That's good, right? <laughs> yeah, bow wow. <laughs> We're all just dogs inside. <laughs> it, it's amazing. It, it's amazing how we... We do this as people all the time, constantly wanting what somebody else has. And the church, the church, I mean the church, the Americanized church has been feeding this self-destructive nature. 
we've been feeding this self-destructive nature with giving entire sermons that preach to name it and claim it. To name and claim the material things that you desire. Hour-long services teaching you how to spiritualize your covetous nature. Think about that for a moment. Did you know that the 10th commandment, talk about the 10 commandments, okay? The 10th commandment, the same list that says don't murder. Number 10 is do not covet. Do, do not desire what you don't have. Do not desire what is somebody else's. And yet we have made entire sermons, preachings, theologies that spiritualize our covetous, sinful nature. Focus on you. You must keep your eyes focused on what God has called you to do. It's not wrong to desire a prize. I'm not saying it's, uh, it's definitely not wrong to have desires. But that, sh- that can't be your motivation. It can't be your motivation because everything material, everything in this world is fleeting. Everything will fade away and everything will become insatiable. Think about the last time you thought about buying a new car was most likely because your friend bought a new car. Y'all know what I'm talking about? They got a new car and you're like, wow, this is nice. And you're like, I wonder how much I could trade mine in for. <laughs> See, and as soon as you get that new car, it satisfies you for maybe a couple months. And all of a sudden you realize that you're not satisfied anymore. You're not happy with it anymore. It's just a car. Everything materialistic, everything in this world is insatiable and is fleeting. Remember your own why and focus on your own progress, your own calling, and your own victory. And while at the same time teaching yourself to celebrate other people's victories in in the process. Learn how to celebrate other people's victory in the process. I'll end with this, this last thought, this last story. When we were about to start this church, uh, it was in 2016 where God had clearly told us about starting this church. We, we, uh, we prayed about it, fasted about it, and we even asked our senior pastor at the time for their blessing and all this stuff. And so we got all these green lights, and there's a time where we came looking for an apartment. We left a three-bedroom house in Del Rio, Texas, to a one-bedroom, 700-square-foot apartment to move here. <laughs> but... I remember when we came looking for, the, for a place to live, as we were driving, all of these churches became highlighted to me. <laughs> I was about to start a church. And I remember seeing just like mega church after mega church after mega church. And, I, and then, if that wasn't like enough of making me feel intimidated and doubting the calling that God gave me and Lauren, all the insecurities... I turn, I turn on the highway and then I see this big billboard that a, another mega church from another city is planting a church the same time that we are. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> I, I couldn't spiritualize it any more than that. <laughs> and I remember just clearly having this deep confusion in my heart as thinking, and all this insecurity of thinking, oh, God, why are we coming here? Why are we coming here? There's all these others around 
that have way more people, way more resources, way more talent than we have. Why are we coming here? It was, it was a specific day where we, we visited a church. It was a mega church and, and we were there. And while we were walking in and out, there's just this random guy that was volunteering. And I'm just going to like be as vague and clear as possible. He looked like uncomfortable like he didn't fit in he looked like he didn't normally dress in that sunday attire and he's like you know just trying to be like the other ushers and i just like could i don't know how to articulate more i just sensed that huge like that feeling of not fitting in that huge feeling of feeling uncomfortable that you're trying that he was trying but it's just like it just felt like a weird fit. And I felt like God clearly told me in that moment, that is why you're moving here to start your church. To start this church is for people like that. The people that have not fit in, the people that have not felt comfortable and been looking for a, a unique place. You're going to reach unique people that no one else is reaching. And, and see, it just clicked that... Once I stopped thinking about uh, what other people are doing, I realized that what God was calling me to do was incredibly unique. That I could be sharing the same message, but I'm sharing it in a way that only that is unique to what, that it fits exactly what certain people need to hear, in a way that they need to hear it. And see, it's that uniqueness about you that God is calling you to do, you to speak, you to act in whatever way to where you can't think, well, someone else is going to do it. No one is going to do it like you, though. No one is going to say it like you. And so focus on you because it's different now. It's different now what God is calling you to. With that being said, I want us to close our eyes and bow our heads. If you're here and you feel like Throughout this message, you feel that difference inside of your soul, in your spirit. And the thing that feels different for you is really your connection to God. Maybe even before this moment, you, you have been curious about God, but you've never made an actual decision to put your trust in Jesus. You never made a decision to enter into a, an actual relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you just feel that within your soul today. With every head bowed and eye closed, if that's you, I want you to just raise your hand. I see all your hands. I see all your hands. So just right where you're at, I want you to just have a conversation with Jesus. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who He says He is, Surely you shall be saved. And what it's saying is, if you have an authentic conversation with Jesus yourself and acknowledge who He is, the Son of God that died on the cross and rose from the dead, that that's all it takes to start this relationship with Him, to start this journey with Him. Even the word repentance simply translates to change direction. And the moment that you put your trust in Jesus, the moment you start walking with God, that is what repentance is. It's a change of direction. And I 100% believe that the Holy Spirit does the work inside of our hearts. 
to where it's not even as a matter of trying to follow a do not uh, checklist, a don't checklist or a do checklist, that it turns into God simply changing and forming our hearts to in his likeness. It's where we don't even desire the things we used to desire. The Holy Spirit does the work. And so that moment of repentance is seen in that step towards Jesus. That is the change of direction. And everything else will work out. The closer you get to him, the more you will find your true self in him. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can talk to God yourself right where you're at. So while, while they're doing that, if you're, for the rest of you, if you're here, and you feel like this message was exactly what the Holy Spirit needed to speak to you today. You've been feeling that difference inside of you. You've been trying to articulate what, what it is. And now you're realizing that God is taking you to this new level. He's taking you to a, a place of growth. And he's changing things within you and around you. And you recognize that now. And you needed to hear this message today. With every head bowed and eye closed, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I see all your hands. So now I'm going to pray for you. God, I, I pray that you would just solidify the work that you've begun in these people. Holy Spirit, I pray for your tangible presence in this room and upon each individual and that you would just cause clarity. I pray that you would cause motivation and courage and boldness and that they would that they would truly be able to walk in the identity you have set for them, that they would not doubt or feel insecure, but that they would step into their new level, their next season with boldness, and that you would just impress your, your spirit upon them. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.